Now, as you heard earlier about our big um, project that we have coming up, that, that we feel God is leading us to take that big step um, to keep growing in that direction, to relocate the church. And uh, when we talk about this project, our relocation, we're not focusing on us. This is not about us. This is for others. Um, we're not doing it to say, look at us and look what we can do. It's to say, look what God has done and to share what he has done with so many other people. So this series that we've been in over the last three weeks, I've talked a lot about finances. I've talked a lot about money. And if this is your first Sunday here, you're thinking, dodge that one, right? The last few weeks we got out of that one. Um, if not, and you're sitting here, you've heard some of those. I've got to tell you, you know, if you get nervous when a pastor gets up and talks about money, if that makes you nervous, um, just know me as your pastor, I, I get nervous talking about money as well. So we're in it together, and I know that many pastors have taken advantage of that. Um, our goal is not money. Our goal is to keep growing, to keep spreading this good news. We're on a venture together to tell others about the love and hope of Jesus, and that's what we're all about, and that's what we want to keep doing. And it has to not stay with us. It has to go way beyond us and allow God to use us to get there. So um, if you have your Bibles this morning, this is where we're headed today. Last part of this series. Next week, we're, gonna be in the, we're starting a series out of the Psalms. I don't think there's any mention of money in the Psalms. All right, so come back. Um, bring all of your friends with you over the next few weeks. Luke chapter 10 is where we're at. Luke 10, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on either side of the um, room that you can go and grab a few. Have your phones with you. Get your phones open, get your Bible app open, find Crestview in the events um, section and follow along in there. Luke 10, this is the story called the Good Samaritan. Now, even if you're not you know, a deep Bible reader, you don't know much about this book, you haven't read all of it, you probably have even heard this story before. This is a familiar story to most, even if you're not well-versed in this. But this story starts by somebody, they're trying to question Jesus and corner him, probably to say something the right way, the wrong way, whatever it is, they want to know something more. So they question him, and he says to Jesus, how do I get eternal life? I mean, that's the big question, right? That's what we all want to know anyway. So he said, how do I get eternal life? Jesus is the master at this. He comes back with a question. He answers the question with the question, and he comes back to him, and he says, well, what's in the law? Which we know as well. You can't obey the law well enough to get to heaven. So Jesus is working with him here, trying to get him to the right spot. He says, well, in the law, it says that you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, ding, 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 right? Great answer. You got it. That's the right answer. Thought he had Jesus though on this one because he comes back with another question. Well, then who's my neighbor, right? Well, then who is that who am I supposed to love? Because it seems a little difficult to do. So Jesus tells this story. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, 
I'll pay you back when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the guy responded by saying, well, it was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, go and do likewise. The Good Samaritan, a story about a man that was wounded by the world. Now let's set this story up. We're going to work our way through it, but I've got to set it up by talking about the wounds of this world. Let's go to the guy that was wounded first, and I know that we all have some wounds. It's a very realistic story that we can apply to our own lives in many different ways. This road is a real road on the way to Jericho. 17 miles of cliffs and rocks and hills and places where thieves can hide and jump out at any minute and rob somebody and beat them up. They would lie in wait for an unsuspected traveler to come along. This road actually had a nickname. The nickname of this road was the Way of Blood because it happened so often. So many people would get robbed on this road that it had this nickname. And people were wounded all the time. Sound familiar? Are we there? How many of us have been wounded before in our lives? Well, the obvious one, at least for this guy, was he was wounded physically, and we can see that. It's described. We can see that in others, physical wounds. He was beaten physically. I don't know how you get your news, whether you turn on a TV, whether you um, get it electronically. Some of you might still have this thing called a paper that comes to you, and and you, you read the news. But no matter when you turn it on or when you turn to it, when you look, you're gonna see somebody that has had some physical abuse. It's all around us. We can see it easily and we can pinpoint it. In fact, we're taught in Scripture that it's going to happen. Get ready for it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us this. It says, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I think he covered it all. All right, I think that when he wrote this, he got all of them in there. I think a guy by the name of um, G. Gordon Libby, he wrote it this way. He, his interpretation of this passage, he said, the world is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> now, I know, I know, we try, don't we? You try, I have tried. We try and make the world a better place. We try and step in and say, man, if I could just today make it somebody's life a little bit easier, a little bit better. But we have a promise in Scripture that this world isn't our home, thank goodness. And actually, it's, it's going the opposite way. And at times, it's scary how we're wounded so much. Now, some of you are lucky enough, and I would consider myself one of these people. Some are lucky enough to get by in life with very little physical wounds. Can't say that I've ever really been wounded physically. Sometimes we can make it through life without this. But I don't think that any of us get by in this life without emotional wounds. So we see it in this guy, the physical wounds, but emotional wounds come along as well. Emotional abuse, whether it's from fathers or mothers or friends or spouses. I've heard it this way too. The sins of a father, the sins of the father, they are visible in the third and fourth generation. So my choices that I make today, the things I choose to do with my life today, it's... It's going to affect 
my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. So I have to be wise about what I do. And we have to pay attention to the people around us. What about the emotional wounds around you? They might not be as noticeable as the physical wounds, and you have to pay attention in order to see them. The bankrupt, the dying, the stressed out, the abused, the lonely. Mother Teresa actually said it this way, the real poverty in her world is the feeling of being unwanted and alone. We've all been here at some point, and I know why you're here this morning. You don't need to retaliate against those people that have wounded you emotionally, but yet you want, you want some kind of encouragement. You come in here hoping to be encouraged and lifted up so that you can make it through another day. And sometimes it's tough when we're wounded emotionally. I heard a wise preacher one time, he gave me some advice. He said, as a pastor, you've got to remember that there's a broken heart in every row. I thought for sure he was going to say it in every service. (laughs) You're there. And if you haven't been there lately, you're going to be there again soon. The wounds, emotionally, they hurt. But they don't hurt as bad as the spiritual wounds do. The spiritual wounds, these are probably the most important. The reason is because they're eternal. They go on forever. Right, Physical wounds we can heal from. We might have some scars to show, but we can heal from those. Um, emotional wounds, we can seek some counseling, and we can grow out of some of that. We can get some help with that. Spiritual wounds, if we don't take care of that, that lasts forever. That's an eternal damage that can happen. So the thief in this story is Satan. And he... He doesn't necessarily care about your physical or emotional wounds as much as he cares about your spiritual wounds. That's what he's after. And if it takes physical wounds and emotional wounds to get you off track spiritually, man, that's what he wants to do. John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, He, and that being Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. He's the father of lies. So, so make sure we understand this before we start to unpack the story a little bit more, that we can see what's happening here. We can see physical wounds in each other, right? Sometimes if we pay attention long enough, we can find out the emotional wounds that's going on with somebody else. But so often it's hard to see spiritual wounds, the spiritual mugging that goes on when that happens. And Satan does this well. He likes to build you up and then he'll pull the rug out from underneath you. As a church, this is our goal. As a church, this is what we're called to do. Yes, there is a time when it says, take care of those that are hungry. Yes, take care of those that have been hurt physically. Yes, take care of those with emotional needs and come around them and encourage them. But we are the only organization in the world that is called to help people with the spiritual wounds. And when we step out and do that, I believe that Satan hates it. And what he wants more than anything else is to get us off track. And he'll do whatever it takes to spread rumors, to, to talk about, to beat us up, to get us off track as an organization and as a church on where we're going. Negative talk and rumors will begin to spread about any church that steps out and does something like what we're getting ready to do. And I believe that we have to be ready for it. Get ready. 
you might hear some things about this church that you might think, I don't believe that's true. It probably isn't. If you hear that, come and talk to me. Let's get it straight and let's figure it out. But when you're attacked, remember these two quotes. Whenever it is that you step out and help somebody in this, remember these two quotes. One from Paul Harvey. He said, you will always find the most clubs under the tree with the most apples. (laughs) God is doing something really cool in this church, and Satan doesn't want it to happen. So he's going to do whatever it takes to knock us down. Jesus said it this way as well. Blessed are you when people say um, all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice and be glad. Because that means you're headed down the right path. And we've got to make sure we're staying on this path. Don't retaliate. Don't, don't try and overcome evil with evil. Speak truth. Be nice. And keep on the path that God has us on together. All right, let's get back to the parable. Let's try and learn from what has happened here. We, we still have this guy on the side of the road that needs some help, right? So here he is. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. He's been left half dead. And two religious people walk by him. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. I only know of one. I don't know about the second one. We'll get to him in just a second. The first one we know is obvious. It says a priest walked by on the other side. He saw him, but he ignored him. Now, as a pastor, I try and give some sympathy towards the priest, okay? I try and fit. Would you expect that from me, right? Can I, can I go there? Wouldn't you see that you would expect me to give him some sympathy? Because I understand maybe the shoes that he's in. Maybe he had a long day. Maybe he had been working hard on the message that he has coming up. Um, maybe he had a lot of emails to answer. Maybe he did a lot of counseling that day. He did some sacrifices and some offering incense. And I don't know, the dude might have walked 18 holes and he was tired, right? <laughs> That's what pastors do, right? Am I, okay. So he was tired and maybe he, tomorrow was his day off. He was starting now. I, I don't know. I, maybe he thought back to the Old Testament. And if you remember this in the Old Testament, and he would have known this, And if this guy was half dead, and he started to help him, and he died while he was helping him, then he would be touching something that was unclean. Therefore, it would have made him unclean, and it would have taken a week of cleansing for him to get back to his job and what he was doing. And he might have thought, I don't have time for that. I've got a busy week coming up. I can't help him. Excuses, right? They're all excuses, but at least it puts us into the head of why that person might have walked on by. The next guy was a Levite. Now, a Levite, maybe you don't know this, but a Levite was really a a subordinate to the priest. Let's say he was an intern at the church. We'll just put it that way, right? He he was working at the church, and um, this was his role was to help the priest. So it makes sense then that he came after. So the priest came by first. Maybe the Levite was back at the temple, at the church, still doing some work, cleaning up, doing some things like that. And he comes along, but he's young. He's busy. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate. His calendar is full. And I'm thinking he's just walking right on by. Maybe he doesn't even see him, but Jesus is smart. Because <laughs> in the story, it actually says he noticed him. He saw him there. And he kept walking by. Good excuses? Uh, probably not. But Lisa puts you in the mind of what might be going on with them. What would you have done? What would you do if you were in that situation? 
um, at Princeton, the college, Princeton actually did a case study of this um, not too long ago. It's, it's been several years now, but they did a case study, and they wanted to see what would actually happen if they set this up today, put somebody in danger, somebody that was hurting, and then watched as students walked by onto their next journey and what that would take you know, what, how many people would actually stop? Do you, have, do you have any clue? Like today, if we did a case study, what would be the percentage of people that would stop and help somebody that was in need? Um, wait, let, let, me, let me give you this. I don't think I said it yet. Princeton, the theological school um, of Princeton. This, this is where this was done. The Princeton Theological Seminary. These were... Students that were studying to be preachers. This was their goal in life, was to lead a church, and they did this as well. The percentage, what do you think now? 10% of the students stopped to help. All right, let me give you a little background on what they did to get to this point. This is what the study was done. They had different categories set up for this. Um, they actually brought this group of students together, and they said, all right, we need you to write a sermon. And when you're done writing the sermon, we're going to send you across campus to give this sermon in front of your professors, and you're going to get graded on it. Guess what passage they picked? The Good Samaritan, right? So they had a little bit of time to do this, but they had three different groups. The first group that they went to, they said to them, um, all right, your, your time's up. Sorry, we're cutting you off early, but you're late. You're actually late for giving your sermon that's going to be graded, and you have to walk across campus to give it. They're already waiting for you. You need to hurry. You need to get there soon. 10% of them stopped. The second group that they went to um, and asked to do this experiment with, they came to them and they said, okay, um, you're done with your sermon. Just make your way across campus. Once you get there, you can start. Um, it'll be right on time. You, you can make it, though, but just, just go. It jumped up to 45% of those students that stopped. The third group that they went to, they let them finish writing their sermon. Then they said, you need to give this on the other side of campus. You need to walk um, there, but no one is there yet. You will probably beat the people there, your professors there. Um, just wait for them, and when you're ready and they're ready, then you can get started. And that jumped up to 63% of those students that stopped. A little bit better. Still probably not good enough, right? This is what they concluded. The researchers, they said this, a person not in a hurry may stop and offer help to a person in distress. A person in a hurry is likely to keep going. Ironically, he is likely to keep going even if he is hurrying to speak about the parable of the Good Samaritan. This inadvertently confirming the point of the parable. This is how they closed it. They said, thinking about the Good Samaritan did not increase helping behavior, but being in a hurry did decrease it. So what is it for us? Right? I wonder at times if we even notice, because we're in so big of a hurry, do we even notice a lost world around us? Do we even take time to remember that it's not about us and that what we have is so important for others? Now, the early church, they were good at this. We read stories about how they helped. They had a welfare system. They would take food um, to those that needed it. They would bring the sick in. 
And we might not be able to save the world, and I think we can do better at that in our community than, than what we currently are. And I, th- I think it's something we can always get better at. How do we serve our community? But we've got to notice what we're here for and what our community really needs. I think the church can go to two extremes, and this is tough. We have to find some balance in this, the two extremes. One can be just the spiritual And all we want to do is help those that are spiritually wounded. And so we do this, right? We say, I'll be praying for you. Or we write it on Facebook really quick. Prayers prayers are going out to you. I'm sending prayers your way. And then we forget about it and we move on with our lives. The other extreme would be just the idea of social justice. We're just going to feed the hungry. We're just going to take care of those that are hurting. We're just going to help those needs. And we forget that we've got something that the world needs that will last for eternity. Guys, if you found the cure for cancer, who would you tell? A few of your closest friends, and that's it? No, you would want the whole world to know about it. I think we have something better than the cure for cancer. And we've got a sick world, a world that's been abused spiritually that needs to hear about it. If you were standing on the river of the Niagara Falls upstream um, a little ways and you saw somebody floating down the river trying to get out, but knowing that the falls are coming, they're going to fall over and die, what would you do? Would you run and get a sandwich and some dry clothes and throw it out to them and say, here, good luck, bon voyage, I hope you stay dry? No, you would save them first. You would do whatever it took to say. Then you might help them physically with some food and some dry clothes. But what's our purpose? The church is to help people discover who Jesus is. That's our purpose. That's what we do here. It's to help you develop in your faith so that you don't lose that, so that you can grow in your faith and grow stronger with your walk with God. And then it's to turn around and send you back out to those that need it. And when we're balanced in these, I think we can do some amazing things. Okay, so we still have this guy, right, on the side of the road. We haven't saved him yet. So let's go back to him. Let's get back to the story. Here's this guy on the side of the road. He's still been beaten and robbed. He still needs help. So this Samaritan comes along, and I think we can learn from this Samaritan. First of all, he cared about a man he never met. He cared about somebody he never met. He didn't first go up to him and say, what's your name? Do I know you? Because if I don't, I'm going to keep going. But if I do, then I'll reach out to you and help you. He didn't care. He helped him even if he didn't know him. Think about it the reverse way. How many people are you indebted to that you have never met before? Are you indebted to anybody that has helped you that doesn't even know you and you don't know them? I'm indebted to people that I have never met before. That's why I'm here today doing what I'm doing. For all of us, we are here today in this room and we're indebted to people that came before us. Bill Lowen. James Carr, Bob Martin, James Allison, Bob Arnold, Wally and Phyllis Grossnickel, Bob Leonard. I wish you all knew Bob Leonard. What a guy. Blood, sweat, and tears into this church so that we could be a growing church today. And I sure hope 50 years, 100 years from now, when we're all gone, 
that somebody in this church thinks back and says, I'm so glad they sacrificed. I'm so glad they gave up something that they wanted to give to something that they wanted more so that I could have a relationship with Christ. I believe I so want, whether they remember names or not, it doesn't matter. I so want people in our future to think back and be grateful that we stayed on course with the vision that God has given us. So when I ask you to get involved in this relocation project with us, it's not for you. It's for someone else. And it would be easy for you. I get it. It would be easy for you to say, why would I want to help with this? I may not even be around then. I may not even be around when this thing happens. Why would I? I'm in the military. We're going to get stationed in the next couple years, so we're moving on. So why would I help with this? It's not for you. That's why. It's to go beyond us to help somebody else in a world that has been spiritually wounded. The Samaritan met a man he never met. He also assisted a man that was supposed to be his enemy. He went to the man only to find out that he was a Jew. Samaritan and Jews did not get along. They were not supposed to even talk to each other. But he didn't walk away from him after he found that out. He continued to help even though it was his enemy. And I think about that with God and us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. When we were sinning, which goes against what God wants us to do, God still helped us. And I think we need to show that help to others. He assisted a man that was his enemy, but he also did this. He sacrificed for a man that could not repay him. He couldn't repay the Samaritan. He couldn't pay him back. He wasn't just beaten physically. He was robbed. He didn't have any money. He had no way to pay this guy back. And yet the Samaritan still gave and still helped. And I don't know if you caught this. Did you notice that he went in debt to help him? It wasn't just what he had. He went in debt to help him. He said to the innkeeper, hey, run a tab. I'll be indebted to you. And when I get back, then I'll pay you off. Many times you might hear it like this. You might hear that a church should never go in debt. The church should always pay for cash for everything that they do. I would love that. I think that, that would be a great thing. And generally, it's a great idea. But there's no scriptural command for that. It's a, it's a tough one. It, it's, it sounds practical, but it's hard to do. There are actually scriptures that teach us and tell us to pay off our debt when they're due. There's scripture that teaches us and tells us that points out uh, the advantage of not borrowing money. That's absolutely true, and I believe that. But I also know Matthew 5.42 says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, I would have never owned a house if it wasn't for the ability for me to borrow that and that was the best investment that I've ever made in my lifetime. This church, this building that we're setting in, would not have been built if it wasn't for the ability for the church to borrow to make it work. 
I actually heard about a church one time that borrowed the max amount that the bank would let them borrow, and it still wasn't enough. So the leadership of the church got together, and they said, then we'll do it. And they went out, and they took out personal loans, personal notes, to help pay for the church. I don't recommend that. That's not something we're doing. Um, I'm not suggesting that we do it, but I love their commitment and their passion for the church. What I would love to see happen is what happened over the last 10 weeks here at Crestview. We had a class, a Financial Peace University class. This last week was their last week. They graduated about 20 families. These 20 families, get this, look at these statistics. These 20 families cut up 27 credit cards in the last 10 weeks. They saved $22,000 that they put back into their savings account. As a whole, they paid off $103,000 in non-mortgage debt. This is cool stuff. Three families started giving for the very first time. Two families increased um, substantially their giving. Isn't that awesome? That's what I think, you know, there's something about that that we need to be striving for and doing. But our relocation project... It's bigger than what we can do. We have been promised a loan up to a reasonable amount for our size, for our limitations, for who we are, what we can handle and manage. But our goal before that happens is to raise as much capital as we can. Our goal is to do that fundraising within the church. Our goal then is to also sell this place and use that revenue in order to help. And all of that to keep our loan down as low as we possibly can. But our goal is to go beyond us. It's to do it for others. There's a, a guy who wrote about this passage of Scripture. His name is Roy Angel. He suggests that this parable um, represents three dominant philosophies in life. The first philosophy is this. It's a philosophy of the thief. The thief would say, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. The other philosophy would be from the Levite and the priest. They would say, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But then there's a philosophy from the Samaritan. And he would say this, what's mine is yours, and I'm going to share it. What's your philosophy in life? How has God blessed you, and what can you share? I'm going to ask for a big challenge in the next few months. It's not coming today. We're just, this was just an introduction to what's happening later this fall. I'm going to challenge you in a big way. How has God blessed you? And how then can we as a church come around this mission that he has put us on? And what's it going to take to sacrifice to make that work? I believe that we have something to share. And it's not just our resources. It's not just our stuff. It's this grace and this love that Jesus offers to us. It's to help people that have been spiritually wounded and we exist, not just to keep that ourselves, but to share it. If you would, let's stand together and let's remember, as we sing, let's remember what Jesus did when he shared it with us. If you would, let's stand.